Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to what? <laughs> live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. I wanted to check if the folk in the building knew that. I know y'all know it. <laughs> but here at FCBC, we say it differently. We live, we love, we serve. Before we get started, I, I can't help but to send deep and abiding prayers. I, I know many have been, I certainly have been, uh, to the people of Haiti uh, for what they have been dealing with, uh, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake um, that has, been, has wreaked havoc across that country. We lift them up. We keep them. There are many Haitians and Haitian-Americans in this community, in this city. And so we're ever mindful of those who have either lost family members or are trying to get word about their family members. So keep the people of Haiti in your hearts, in your prayers. Send love and strength in that direction. And I'm sure there's many humanitarian efforts that will go forward. And we, as a church, will do our part in the future uh, to be a part of that building, restoration, of that amazing place. And so um, I want today, and I'll be brief this morning, uh, to turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, 29. One of the passages of Scripture that I know, I, won't, I don't want to say it's one of the most quoted passages of Scripture, but it is surely one that is often quoted uh, Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse um, 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. These are the words of God. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we are, as always, eternally grateful. Grateful, God. Grateful, God. Your strength that you pour into us is amazing. The hope that you give us is amazing. The power that you provide us is amazing. God, you are so amazing. We can't help but to be grateful, oh God. And then, oh God, in the midst of that, you remind us that you are with us in those even and seemingly 
unbearable moments. You are there, oh God. Every step of the way, you are there to lift when needed, to encourage when necessary, to empower when the moment requires, to face and faith forward. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Now, oh God, let your word hit its intended targets today. So, oh God, we will hear just what we need and receive what is necessary in this season. Oh, we love you. But God, the truth is we can't profess to love you and not know how to love one another. Truthfully, oh God, the best way to demonstrate our enormous love for you is for the magnitude of the love we have for one another, oh God. We love. We love. We love. Thank you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me read that passage again, beloved. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14, and it reads like this. For surely... I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. For surely I know the plans I have for you. This morning I want to speak from this idea. Pain, plans, and prosperity. Pain, plans, and prosperity. The gravitational pull of verse 11 is one that has caused many a believer to use that verse as a launching pad for great expectations heaped upon God. Those words of verse 11 have been for so many over the years a source of strength, a source of encouragement, and in some regards, a source of redemption and restoration. For to believe in your heart in spite of what circumstances or situations might declare, believing in your heart that God knows the plans that God has for you, Plans to prosper you. Plans to restore you. Plans to protect you from harm have been a form and source of strength again, especially in times where the pressing of life has a way of burdening our spirits. That pull of verse 11 lifts us in moments when we feel bowed down 
and reminds us at the end of the day that God's intention connected to our life is shaped by a desire to prosper us. Who would not love to live in the theological lane of verse 11? Who wouldn't want to rest their head at night believing and knowing in heart that God's plans are not only known by God, but their plans connected again to prosperity, restoration, protection, healing, redemption. Again, those words are lifting, encouraging, empowering. But what I often remind people who love to quote this verse, some of the subsequent verses after that, is that you cannot decontextualize verse 11. If you take verse 11 out of its context, again, it can seem like words that are fit for someone who's waiting in expectation of God to break through in their lives. But when you put it in the context of the larger narrative of which it is a part, somehow the gravitational pull of verse 11 in some ways, for some people, weakens in its attraction. The larger story, the larger narrative, is one that begins not with prosperity, but with pain. Pain of a sort that is almost unbearable, especially when your expectations are of a God who is benevolent in ways that are mind-blowing and mind-boggling, benevolent and merciful and gracious, and who seeks to prosper you. You see, the context in which Jeremiah reminds us of this saga in Israel's story is one that is actually sad. The people of God will experience exile and have been experiencing the pain connected to that. And Jeremiah's word was clear that there will be this moment where Nebuchadnezzar the king would have a yoke over Israel, that Israel would experience distance and disconnection from their homeland, from all the things they hold as valuable and sacred. And in the midst of Jeremiah's prophecy, there was another prophet named Hananiah who was saying that is not true, that there will be no hardships, there will be no struggle, that God will be with us, keep us, protect us, and quickly, quickly deliver us out of our pain of exile. That there will not be a long period of pain and tragedy or even sorrow and suffering. Hananiah, the prophet's word, were up against Jeremiah's word. If you read that story when you get a chance, you will find out that Hananiah standing against Jeremiah wasn't just standing against Jeremiah, but was standing against the God who sent Jeremiah and also gave Jeremiah that word that we must endure this exile under Babylonian captivity, that it is our lot based on a lot of the disconnection that had taken place between Israel and God. This is what was required. And it is hard to think through the rationale as to why this would be the mechanism of restoration. This would be the mechanism of redemption. This would be the mechanism to get Israel connected back again. There are countless people who try to figure out the why of this moment, the why of Babylonian captivity, the why of Babylonian exile. But that is simply beating one's head into a space of frustration. What we do know is that this is what God said was required, exile distance and disconnection in part because of Israel's intentional disconnection from God. No one likes to hear that. 
No one wants to hear that somehow, not necessarily orchestrated, but that there's some divine thread moving through deep pain and agony. No one wants to hear that, especially when you're on the crucible of pain. No one wants to hear somehow there's something purposed about that. Somehow, there's something redemptive about that. I have been in my own bed of affliction and crucible of pain, and those were not words I wanted to hear. Not somehow that what I'm going through is necessary. That what I'm going through is par for the journey, the course. This is what must be endured. And if you think of it this way, you begin to wonder if the struggle, the chaos, the captivity, the sorrow, the suffering, is this true punishment from God? Oh, I say that because we are in times where there's some theologians or wannabe theologians who try to make some connection between the radical disobedience of the world and COVID-19. No, I'll talk about this more next week, but here's what I want to say. It is amazing how when we see things working adversely against us, we're quick to put it in the category of evil, problematic, bad, not of God. But here's the reality. It's called, well, let me make it simple. Four letters, life. It is life. It is life. I'll, I'll touch on that more next week, but let me dig this a little deeper. If you claim to be a follower of the carpenter, a disciple of Jesus, one who is a Christian who follows in the footsteps. How do you think that somehow pain is punishment? How do you determine that somehow when dark times come or struggles come or hardships come, it is some kind of reckoning that God is inflicting upon us because of our radical sinfulness? No. No. I mean, I love, I love how Isaiah tried to capture the would-be Messiah. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Even Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, understood that even the Messiah would endure hardship, would endure pain. And I am often amazed by those who want to follow in the footsteps but don't want to walk in the pain. They want discipleship that's not costly. Discipleship that is easy, but not discipleship that requires sacrifice and not that sorrow and suffering are part of the definition of discipleship. It is part of life. But if you're a disciple living life, you will encounter these static categories and these situations that will cause us to lean into what we claim to believe. It again is life. And here it was. Israel was experiencing the heaviness of a captivity. And in that moment, was necessary. It is painful to think of. But I love it because the reality is that the promise of prosperity does not negate the reality of pain. <laughs> the promise that there are better days ahead don't negate sometimes the reality of the present days. Knowing that things will get better doesn't negate the fact that things might be rough now. And so it is not contradictory to promise prosperity but then sit in the pain. The question is not whether pain will come. The issue is, well, 
Not what's God's plan for pain. What's your plan for pain? I love this scene because if you read chapter 29, you'll see that God God kind of gives them a plan for pain, and they must now be willing to live in it. Here they are, knowing of their captivity, knowing of their bruising and their bleeding and their hardship. And, and here's what the prophet tells them. Remember, that promise of prosperity doesn't negate the reality of pain, but then watch what God tells them to do. He said, make sure where you are, two things God tells them. Uh, build, plant, get married, have children. Wait a minute. Yes, build, plant, Marry, have children. What do you mean, God? We're in captivity. Yes, but the captivity does not stop you from being productive. I need you to get that. That God is saying, I know and I see what you're dealing with, but don't let what you're dealing with undermine the possibility of still being productive in the moment. This is what God is requiring. Be productive in the pain. Don't let the pain keep you stagnant from walking into possibilities because pain does not undermine possibilities. In fact, pain has a way of maturing you as you learn the possibilities that abound in your life. Again, this is not punishment. This is not something that is reckoned upon us. It is part of the journey. And God tells them, yes, you will experience it, but don't let it define you or define what you can do. Still, you can be productive in the midst of your pain. Still, you can build momentum in the midst of your misery. Still, you can work in the midst of your woundedness. You can still be productive even when the absurdity of life is assaulting you on every side. Be productive in the pain. God is wanting to see, does their situation capsize who they are? Or does it push them to leaning in more to what life yields? Let me put it this way. Your possibility and potential and capacity is so enormous that it can't be confined by chaos. And you can't allow it to be held captive by calamity. That in those moments, if what you are enduring has a way of defining what you can do, that means that the possibilities did not really abound in the first place if they could be undermined by hardship. Again, why? Because that is part of life. If not, you will be on a topsy-turvy journey through life, always feeling shaped by the whims and the winds that blow. When everything is good, you're up. When it's down, you're in misery. When everything is okay, you're fine. When it's going bad, you're down. That means that you have no center that's grounding you in the midst of it. I love this. You know, the seminal work by Ernest Hemingway, Farewell to Arms. Ernest Hemingway pens words that will live on, I'm convinced, for eternity. He says, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong in the broken places. But those who do not break, it will kill. I want you to hear that. The world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong in the broken places. But those who will not break, it will kill. Strong in the broken places. That's what God was seeking. Can you still be strong in your broken place? Now, I got to say this because there's some who hear what I just said. said, wait a minute. Those who don't break, it will kill? Yes. I, 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 I understood this many years ago. The second time in my life, I had gone through 
a category three for a hurricane living in North Carolina. The first one I endured was many years ago. Those of you who are New Yorkers may remember back in the 80s, Hurricane Gloria. It came through New York, and especially where I was on Long Island. And then I, I can't remember the name of this hurricane while I was in North Carolina, but I mean, it, it upended where we were. It, may, it reached to the mainland of North Carolina, not just in the outer banks by the water, by the ocean. And I remember looking at the winds blow, and I remember seeing the trees swaying. And then I even remember seeing trees break, snap, snap. And I was sitting there looking at all this devastation, destruction. And then when I read many years after that farewell to arms and I came across that quote, I understood it better. The trees breaking in the wind was a form of preservation. Why? If they're broken but not uprooted, they can rebuild. I hope you get this. Their breaking is to prevent the uprooting of the entire tree. For when you disconnect it from the roots, it dies. Can you imagine the breaking? Okay, you didn't get that. Yeah, yeah. My, 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 my doctor told me many years ago that the body has a natural bending to it. I'm not talking about physical bending. I'm talking about emotional, spiritual bending. That is the bending that enables you to endure. It's the ability to sway with what comes your way. Because when you don't learn how to sway, you snap like a pencil, he said. Okay, that didn't work. Many years ago here at FCBC in the sanctuary, people would be in the balcony having praise and worship. And I remember people telling me sometimes something felt like the balcony was moving. Praise and worship was so intense, the balcony just seemed like it was rocking. And I remember when somebody told me, I said, well, it was moving. So what do you mean? I said, because if that balcony did not know how to move under the weight, it would break and collapse and it would then wreak havoc in this space. Buildings, tall structures here in New York City naturally sway. You don't necessarily see it or feel it, but if they did not, they would break completely and be utterly destroyed and chaos would abound. Something in us must be able to learn how to shift with those strong winds and learn how to be strong in the broken places. That's what God was telling them. Secondly, God says something else that is very problematic, that touches us in, our, in the space where love ought to be the deepest. Here they were in Babylon being held captive, and God tells them not only to be strong in the broken places and build in the midst of the pain, but God then says, pray for the city because the city's lot is also their lot. Can you imagine that a directive from God is to pray for the captors, no, God did not say it. He said, pray for the city because where you are is in that city. And if things don't go well, it will only get worse. Okay, you didn't get that. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said. Love your enemies, Jesus said. And it's the only place in the New Testament where when Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, love your enemies, and then you have the potential to be perfect in heaven as God is perfect. Hold on, you mean that perfection was not about wearing the right church clothes and going, not going to the clubs? And No, perfection was about the capacity to love those who for you seem unlovable and praying for those who you seem and feel who may be praying on you. That is what it means to follow the teachings of the carpenter in many ways. And God says that. God makes it clear to them. When God says, 
build where you're broken. Pray for the city that's holding you captive. And then God hit him with this, that your captivity will not be less than 70 years. 70 years. So do not listen to these prophets who make you think that somehow if you love me and I love you, the pain won't last that long. And somehow knowing me gives you a quick delivery out of the situation. No. Jeremiah 29, God says, 70 years, no less and no more. And then God says, you can handle it. Why? And I know you can. Why? Here it comes. Because I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare. Plans to protect you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to restore you, your fortunes, your plans to redeem you. Now, different. What God is saying, I know the plans I have for you. But I also know what you must endure in this season. And I know we don't like hearing that because we want to hear the prosperity But what I've learned from this text is that the movement happens in three ways. Pain, plans, prosperity. Understand the rationale and what pain does for us. Understand what the plans really mean because the plans are not just connected to deliverance. The plans are connected to the capacity to endure what you're going through. And the prosperity comes after the required season. In other words, like the old folks tell me, in due season, you'll experience the breakthrough. Now, I know for some of you watching this morning, this is not an easy sermon because we just want to hear about prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Things will work out. Things will be better. We are good. God got big plans for us. Yes, but big plans God has for us does not negate those times we must confront the hardships in our lives, the difficulties that come, and the chaos that may even abound. And you cannot look at those things as a litmus test for whether or not God is pleased with us or God is not pleased with us. It is life. The question is not whether it is life. The question is, can you live in the midst of life, even when everything around you seemingly is not making sense? Can you still be grounded in who God is and, more importantly, in who you are? Joy don't come in the morning before weeping endures for the night. I know you love the joy, but can you still maintain in the nighttime weeping sessions? That is part of what it means not just to be a believer, but to be a human being who lives this journey. And who you are as a believer is what grounds you and keeps you in the midst of everything that abounds around you. Why do I say that, beloved? We have been in a period in the history of this country and in our lives that has been challenging for all of us. Challenging. When will it end? I do not know. How will it end? No one knows. But I do know this, that in the midst of it, I'm convinced of who walks with me who talks with me, and who reminds me of who I am. I am the beloved of God, and God's spirit rests on me, and in me God finds favor. The pain won't define me because I can still be strong in the broken place 
The situations won't contain me because the chaos won't kill my capacity to love still. And all of what I'm able to endure enables me to lean in to the breakthrough because it will be a breakthrough. It is there. So don't fret. Don't seek to throw in the towel. Because as I've said in the beginning of this season of pandemic, you were built for this. You are resilient. And never forget that. And your resilience is a beautiful combination of your patience and your power in the midst of it all. Don't forget who you are. Pain, yes. But there are plans. And those plans will prosper. And if you know that, you don't have to try to avoid the pain, avoid the crisis, avoid the conflict. Lean in to God's presence and to your strength. And you shall come through this. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you on today. And we are grateful today on God for this gentle reminder that what we go through is part of our journey. It's part of our life story. And God, there are times we wish things would ease up. We wish things would just stop and end. But God, let us not be so hurry, in such a hurry for deliverance that we come out having not learned anything. Help us, oh God, to remain patient and powerful, strong and courageous in this season. God, and even now, as we started, we send strength and love to the people of Haiti. We see the pain, we see the sorrow, we see the suffering. But you do know the plans. Not plans to eradicate the pain, but plans, oh God, to be present and plans that speak to a future with hope. With hope. We love you, God. We honor you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, beloved. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.